was one of the things that was used to assess whether or not the scriptures as the canon of the New Testament was being recognised, it was one of the things that was used to, as the measuring rod to determine what actually scripture was. So it's quite fascinating. I used to think it was a summary that came later. It's not. It's quite the other way around. So those three essentials are, are, are really important. So that's why that's called the essentials. And this is called give us this day. Now we're going to talk about what we're going to get this day. Okay, we began by saying that the Lord's Prayer in Scripture turns up at the epicenter, the central, the main part of the Sermon on the Mount, which of course is Jesus, the opening teaching of Jesus in the entire New Testament. So that's got to be taken seriously. Okay, let's move on. Here's another way. This is looking down on the mountain. These are the topics Jesus dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount building up. These are the topics coming back down the mountain and they're in the centre the epicenter, the most important part of the Sermon on the Mount, judging by its structure, uh, is the Lord's Prayer. Here now is the Lord's Prayer, divided into its parts. There's the first part, the second part. Oh, hang on. When we traditionally pray the Lord's Prayer, we've got this for the kingdom, the power and the glory of yours. That actually doesn't belong to it as it is in the Scriptures. It relates to a passage in Chronicles. Right? Not, not a bad thing to pray. It just simply isn't what's in Matthew. If we take a look at what's actually in the Gospel of Matthew, we've shown you that you've got this other passage here I've written in blue, which is not part of the poem part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, but you've got these other parts here that complete a theme that's opened in there. So to understand the Lord's Prayer, we need to understand those other two words. They're kind of like part of the frame. As we move along, we spoke about the theme of heavenly father and earth as it is in heaven. We spoke about that last week. We also spoke about the fact that next week we're going to be taking a look at the theme of forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. But this week we're going to be looking at one verse right in the middle of it. Give us this day our daily bread. That's something many of us have understood uh, and prayed and I've prayed it forever and ever and ever. And like so many things, when you translate one language to another, no language accurately translates another language. I'll give you an example. Who here has ever tried to explain to another English person from another country what fair income means? Right? You can't, can you? It, but every Australian knows what fair income means. I mean, fair income is fair income. I mean, you're not fair income if you don't know, don't know what fair income means. Well, that's an illustration that even within one English dialect to another, there are words that just don't translate. So we shouldn't be too troubled when we find that coming from ancient Greek to modern English, there are certain points where it doesn't touch. And that's why it's sometimes good to let ourselves uh, say, don't just say it's all Greek to me. We're going to say, no, I actually need to understand the Greek. All right, so let's go on. We're going to now focus on the meaning of Give us today, or give us this day, our daily bread. There it is in Greek. I'd like you all to read that, please. That's in, 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 in uh, transliterated is ton aton chemon, ton epiusion, dos emin semeron. Now I expect you to have that as a memory verse by next week. All right, ton aton chemon. And the words, and I want you to show you the structure of it. The bread of us, the, what on earth is that word? Give to us today. 
There is a word there that only turns up once in the scriptures and from what I understand only once in Greek literature. And even in the third century, one of the greatest Bible scholars and theologians of the ancient world, a fellow called Origen, is said to have said, what on earth does that mean? So we've got to take a look at how the word is put together. And attempts to try to translate it have been our well-known daily. Uh, it can also be translated very special. It can also be translated special substance. It can also be, and it has been translated in the early Latin translations of the Greek in a word that meant super substantial. And that's great because those words are getting even worse. So, so I didn't know what it meant. Now I really don't know what it means. So let's take, have, a, have a stab at it. There it is in Greek, epiousion. It occurs only in the Lord's Prayer, but it's, but it's actually made up of two parts. Epi. Okay, the epidermis is the top layer of our skin. All right, if you're any, anywhere medical or, or, or you know anything about plants, you know the epithelium, right? Epi means the top, the surface of something. Usios means the substance. Now, for example, in the development in the 5th century when they were discussing the importance of 4th and 5th century when they were discussing how come Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, but there's one God. How can three be one? Right? One of the words they came up with was homoousion. Now, the, I'm doing this to show you this word ousion. Homoousion. Homo means the same. Ousion means substance. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the same substance. It's one of the ways of coming to understand that there is one God. Right? So, what we're looking at here is that epiusion is a word specially made up, and in this case, specially made up by Jesus, because these are his words, to point out to us something which is both a mystery and an invitation. And it is something that's kind of intended to be something bigger than us. It's not like something we can grasp and say, now I've got that and put that into, file it in my head. I know what that means. It's more like, Something that hooks into us and draws us into the mystery and the glory and the supernatural reality of who God is and what he's inviting us into. How many of you would love to, be, to follow God's invitation into the depths of his glory and his mystery? How many of you love that? And it's not just sort of have religion. Let's have God. Let's have the presence and the glory of the one whose name no mortal man can say. Let's have the presence and the glory of the one who, who made all creation and the one who has, who has given purpose to our life, given our life existence and has given us purpose. And he's saying, I want to invite you into the depths of the glory of who I am and the mystery of who I am and in the glory of who I am and I want you to know the depth and the, the power of my embrace and of my love for you, which is far more than some soppy sentiment. This is universe creating grace and power that I want you to experience and live.
And so when he says this word, I believe it's that kind of an invitation. And he says, and here's my paraphrase of it. Give us this day the bread of the essence of your being. There is the core of what prayer is all about. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why I love to see the emphasis here on spiritual formation and retreats and things like that. Because it is getting before the mystery of God where we quieten our souls. We quieten the clamours of our hearts and the things that we think we desperately need. You know, most of the things we think will die if we don't have won't matter when we're dead. Isn't that incredible? You say, well, I don't have that, I'll die. But when you're dead, it didn't matter. God got something glorious and true for us, and he's saying, I want to draw you into that which actually eternally matters. In fact, that which is the source and the reality of the eternal life I won for you on the cross. I want to draw you into the reality of that experience, the mystery and the glory of my presence. Give us this day, Lord, the bread of the essence of your being. Now, how do we think about that? How do we pray that? Now, I'm going to give you a bit of a lesson now in types and shadows. Has anybody here ever studied types and shadows? Would you raise your hand if you have? Okay, the way a lot of the Old Testament is written is in symbols, types and shadows, where different things refer to to spiritual realities. And one of the big things in the Bible that speaks of spiritualities is this funny little word, bread. Now, the way we explore this is we go back to the stories where these things turn up. We look for, there's a thing called the principle of first mention and then you follow through. Uh, Things get mentioned and then a theme gets built on them. It's like poets do, right? You can imagine a poet writing a poem about bread being the substance of our life. Uh, Jesus said, for example, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this prayer would be kind of like saying, Lord, let me have that bread which is that which comes from the mouth of God. So it's learning to think of these things in a, in a symbolic and, and in a types and shadows way. Let me go, I'm going to give you about, I'm going to give you five quick examples of how we pray this prayer. And, and it, the key, to, sorry, I'm going to give you five examples of the theme of bread. And what we then do is by meditating over time, and it might take us weeks or months, it might take us a lifetime as we just reflect on the meaning of these stories. Each time we reflect on them, that meaning of the word, give me today the bread of the essence of your being, I get deeper and deeper understanding of it, deeper and deeper connection to God, and I'm drawn by that word deeper and deeper into the reality of who he is and into what eternity is all about. Okay. Here is one of the first mentions of bread in the Bible in a story. So bear with me. I'll just tell you the story because you've got to know the story. And the stories, knowing the story is amazing because you see the significance of bread in the story. And I'll read it to you. The Lord, by the way, notice it's Lord and Lord is in all capital letters. That's very important because that is the translation of the word often translated Yahweh. Right? And I don't even like to say Yahweh because 
it, by the time Jesus came, it was so sacred, people didn't even say the word. The proper way to pronounce it was reverent silence. Because we lifted our heart to the one who is the source of all existence. The one from whom everything comes. And this says here, and the one who is the source of all existence. The one whose glory is in him unimaginable. The one who created heaven and earth and all that is in it and all that is seen and unseen appeared to Abraham. My goodness me, what a moment in his life. So easy just to bounce over it because we're so familiar with that word Lord. And the one who is the source of all existence appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. That's interesting. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low, bowed, bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, singular. He recognised the three as one Lord. Fascinating passage this. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Interesting thing here, Abraham meets the Lord, but instead of asking something of the Lord, he immediately sets out to offer hospitality to the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to say, you know, sometimes when I listen to the way people in this world behave toward God, they offer no hospitality to him. They're hostile to him. They're judging him. If you were God, why this? If you were God, why that? Abraham bowed and said, my Lord, little, little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. I, you know, I believe that's, that's how God is with us. If we offer the hospitality, the openness, the table of our heart to God, God will come and sit with us at that table. And to a very large degree, a lot of prayer is just opening our heart to offer hospitality to the Lord, who we say, your kingdom come, your will be done right? Let your name be hallowed here on this earth. And very well they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some. And here's the word we're looking at, bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now this picture I'm showing you here is actually a fascinating picture painted, I believe, in the 13th century in Russia. It's very famous. If any of you have studied art, you'll know it well. It's called Rublev's icon. And these icons 
are not really intended to be pictures the way we understand pictures. They were, they were painted in a time when most people were illiterate and, you, and they were used to help tell people the stories of the Bible. This icon was painted to help people understand Genesis 18 and how it spoke to them in a New Testament context. Very, very famous icon. Let me just explain it to you. The three figures are the three angels or the, the three, being, three men who came to the Lord. All, and, they, and this was intended to represent the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The positions they're sitting in have to do with the... They're, they're not sitting there, but they were just sort of bent with, on their necks. All those positions indicate what they were trying to communicate. So this was not painted to be um, like a, a realistic painting. It was painted to be something that people would say, well, the reason their head's pointing that way is because he's showing respect. Okay, so the distortions are because of that. And so what you've got here is this is like Father, Son and Holy Spirit who've met with Abraham in this story. Okay, and here is the food that Abraham prepared. Okay, now this is interesting. This one here represents the Holy Spirit. Okay, and his head is toward Jesus. This one represents the Father. This one represents the son. Now, you've got to watch the hands in this, and you can't quite see it, but the father's hand is pointing to Jesus. Jesus' hand here is pointing to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's hand is pointing to this position. And there's one place not set at the table. That's your place. That's Abraham's place. And it speaks of the fact that this is God's invitation to all of you to come. See, that's where this story, when we read this story prayerfully, we are looking at how God spoke to Abraham and also a picture of how God wants to speak to us, wants to meet with us. And in the icon, we've got this big rocky outcrop here, which speaks of the harshness of our life and the hardness of our journeys, which comes to the trees, which is the oaks of Mamre. And remember, Jesus was also nailed to a tree. But it's a, it's a tree with, which is growing because on Calvary, he's won the victory. And over here, this is the house with the open door, which is the Father's house, because in my Father's house there are many ends, and the door is open representing the Father waiting for you and me, the prodigals, to return home. So it was a way of helping people talk, reflect, and meditate on the glory of it. Now, how does bread come into this and how does it fit how does it fit? Give to me the day, this day the bread of your essence. Well, the simple fact is this. In this story, the first thing Abraham did was he went and got some bread, some materials to make that bread so that he would have something to bring to offer hospitality to the Lord. Where are we going to get that bread? Where does Abraham ultimately get that bread? Where does everything come from? It comes from God. Lord, give to me this day the bread of the essence of your being so that I have something. Give to me, Lord, something so that I have the ability to bring it to you. Who has ever given their children some money so they could buy them a birthday present? They could buy a birthday present for you. Okay? Give to me, Lord. The wherewithal, give to me, Lord, the money so I can buy the, your birthday present. Give to me, Lord, the ability to have the bread of your substance 
so that I have something to bring to you and I can take my place at that table. And it's funny, it's a simple little story, but I believe if, you, if you're prepared to just spend time meditating, just letting those things, and you can't force the meditation, look at it, think about it, pray about it, and you'll find a day later or something, something a penny will drop and something else will happen. You know what's you're happening? You're having a conversation with the Holy Spirit because that's how he does it. That's actually how he does it. And, these, and the lights turn on inside and all of a sudden you've got this incredible joy and someone says to you, what's that all about? So, well, you're trying to tell them and they think you're an idiot but it doesn't matter because it's so beautiful because God is speaking to you. Give to me, Lord, this day the bread of the essence of your being. Ton epiusion. Then... In the, in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, this is interesting. Exodus 25 to 31 and 35 to 40, a massive number of, passage, of, of chapters in the Bible are devoted to this incredibly symbolic thing. And it takes a lot of effort to understand the symbol, but it is, it is incredibly beautiful. Um, and basically, this spoke of how we related to God. Um, and has anybody ever studied the tabernacle in the wilderness? Would you raise your hand if you have studied... You have, okay, one, one, okay. Well, this will be worse than Greek to you then, but I'll be really quick. But here, in, right in the center of the tabernacle of the wilderness, there was a place called the holy place. And in it was a table with 12 loaves of bread. 12 speaks of government, the 12 apostles, the order that God wants to bring into our lives, that God has not just given us to be a ragtag bunch of people with random autonomy. God is wanting to bring together a kingdom, a, a, your kingdom come, an orderly kingdom governed under the government of God. And so the 12 loaves of bread speak of the community of God's people under the government of God. Symbolic, beautiful thing. Give to me, Lord. The bread of the essence of your being, which is the bread of your kingdom coming, the bread of your church being what it is called to be. Uh, I'm just going to flick on from there. There's so much more we could say about that. This is the holy place with the curtain lifted so you can see behind it into the most holy place where there is the Ark of the Covenant. Then we go to a very fame, very important passage in the book of Leviticus. The first five chapters of the book of Leviticus are the five sacrifices of the Old Testament each of us, each which teaches symbolically something of what Jesus did in the cross of Calvary. All these sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ. And so there is the, fir the first offering is called the burnt offering. The second offering is called the grain offering or the bread offering. The third is called the peace offering, the, the, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. So Jesus um, expressed his love and his commitment to God through that. Uh, he brought peace through his death on the cross. He paid for our sins and he atoned for our guilt. There's so much more I could say about that. But bread in this case is the, is the grain offering. I'll tell you an interesting thing. In this discussion, they talk about how the... How the, how the this is a, uh, a fascinating thing. As you read through it and you get into the depths of the symbolism here, it actually speaks of how the grain had to be crushed in order to get the flour out. And it had to be mixed with frankincense and oil. Oil speaking of the Holy Spirit, frankincense speaking of prayer and praise and all of those sorts of things. So the, so the grain had to be crushed open. 
which means God will, God's going to do works in our lives to open us, to mix his Holy Spirit and the spirit of praise and worship into us so that we can do it. But the other thing also is the word used for crushed the grain is exactly the same word used in Isaiah 53 where it says he was, Christ was bruised for our iniquities. So he was broken open for us. That's really quite significant. And remember the people who sat around the table the night when Jesus, uh, at the Last Supper, when Jesus established the Lord's Supper, which we share here, the night he established that, they spoke this language. They understood this stuff, right? They understood it. And it's, it's a glorious thing for us to spend time learning. Um, but but there, there is another game, the issue of bread. It's a major theme in the scriptures. It turns up in the feeding of the five thousand, the five, the five loaves and the two fishes. Lord, bring to me, give to me, Lord, the bread of your provision. Multiply what there is in my life, Lord, so that I really know and understand the specialness of your presence. And then Jesus said an amazing thing. This is a very important passage. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So if we're asking for our special bread, we're actually asking for Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. Now give me this day, Lord, this bread of the essence of your being, Jesus. Jesus, give me the bread of who you are. Let me nourish myself daily spiritually by who you are, Jesus, my Lord. It's, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. What, was he waving a loaf of bread around? No, he was talking of himself. Give to me the bread of your essence, Lord. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread, I will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. So when we say, give us this day our daily bread, give us this day the bread of the essence of your being. How are we praying the Lord's Prayer? Let's put together what we've done so far. Father, of us, using the language I used last week, Father of us, the one in the heavens, holy and respected be the name of you. Let it come, the kingdom of you. Let it be done, the will of you, on earth, here, amongst us, as it already is in heaven. And give to me, Lord, the bread of the essence of your being. Give to me, Lord, you. Lord, give me you today. Now. I want you now, Jesus, in my life. Give me the epiusion. That which is the, the fullness of the essence of who you are. Today. 
because Jesus, you are the bread of life. And that's the bread that that passage is actually talking about. Fill me with your glory, Lord. And finally, in Luke chapter 22, here's the story of the Last Supper. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we are, whether we realize it or not, we are entering into the fullness of the mystery of this glory. And we barely touched a few points on this beautiful thread, this golden thread that flows through the tapestry of the scriptures. And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. What did he say in John chapter 6? If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you shall not have life within you. I am the bread of life. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they've eaten it, saying, this cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Oh, there we go. Gone too far. I don't know if I can get back. That'll do. Let's pray. Father, I've, I've spoken a few words. Lord Jesus, I've spoken a few words. Holy Spirit, I've spoken a few words. I pray, Lord, that those words are worthy of you. I pray, Lord, that in each of us, Lord, you kindle a hunger, not just to reduce you to what we think we need, but, Lord, to worship you for who you are and enter into the fullness of who you are. Our Father in the heavens, hallowed, holy be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give to us today the bread of the essence of your being. And I must stop there because next week we'll continue the Lord's Prayer. And we'll be focusing on, if you like, the other side. We've now reached the peak of the Lord's Prayer in the essence of the being. And if you want to enter into the essence of the Lord's being, you have to learn how to love how he loves, care how he cares, and forgive how he forgives. Thank you.